Once forged in the fires of PR and journalism, Curtis Dewar and Corey Westbrook united to create C-Squared. Then I jumped on the bandwagon. I'm your host, Aaliyah, and this is Heavy Business, a podcast where we talk to music industry professionals and musicians and learn together about the music industry, marketing, and other tools that can help you promote the music you put so much effort into creating. Hello and welcome. This is Heavy Business. I'm Aaliyah. And I'm Curtis. And today we are here with Steve Tom Sawyer, the Director of Digital Marketing and Advertising for Metal Blade. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. We're stoked to have you. Excited to talk about digital marketing and advertising. Those are not words I hear often, so I'm excited (laughs) as well. Sweet. Um, Before we dive into that, um, I know you used to work in the video game industry, and then you crossed over. Can you tell us a a little bit about how you crossed over into the metal world? Yeah, so uh, I have always been a person who's been at shows a lot, right? And so uh, when a legion was coming through Philly a few years ago, uh, I, I went to the show and I ended up talking to uh, the former voc- the former vocalist Riley for a long time at the merch table. And there was this like instant connection because it turned out that he was like a huge fan of a bunch of games uh, from the game publishing company that I worked for at the time, which was Devolver Digital. Uh, And so we just ended up talking about like games and music and all kinds of shit. And we connected on Facebook and just kept talking and just kept talking. And before you knew it, like, you know, um, I, I would say there wasn't a day that went by that like I wasn't texting Riley or calling Riley and just drawing at him about something. And so eventually that led to us just being like, Hey, why don't we try to like make our own game publishing company? Why not? We can, we can do things. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we, we launched that a couple of years ago, gave it a run and things are kind of winding down. I just don't think it's like the fit for the things that like either of us want to like maintain in our lives right now. Uh, It's just a lot of stress, a lot of responsibility, but that is 100% how I got introduced to the larger metal blade family was through Riley. And then eventually it was uh, Ryan over at metal blade who was like, there's this thing. And I think you should apply. Um, And so here I am. Wow. What an invitation. Yeah. So this thing being the director of digital marketing and advertising, what is yeah. that? Yeah. So uh, it's big shoes to fill for sure. But it means that like in total, like any of the kind of like advertising or promotion that you would see centered around, you know, any of the stuff that we're releasing, um, I more than likely have had something to do with it. Uh, and you know, when you look at the scale of the stuff that like metal blade puts out in a year, you start to quickly understand just how busy, uh, that, that keeps me, <laughs> I've, I've only been here a short time. Like, you know, it's about a month. Um, but already, yeah, the volume of work that I've got to keep up with has been, it's been pretty incredible, but it's, it's really cool because, you know, getting to work with so many bands and so many different sounds, 
um, just really keeps your head like in a hyper creative kind of place, like all the time, because, you know, it's like, we'll have a band like Kardashev, but they're a totally different audience than someone like Cannibal Corpse, right? Or, you know, that's a totally different audience than like the Allegiant audience, right? Who are, you know, like Tech Death Heads um, or Entheos, right? And they share some similarities. So yeah, it's just a lot to think about, uh, a lot to do. Um, but in a nutshell, that's that's what I that's what I I do. I could get so granular about the very like specifics of my job, but yeah, I think the overall is like if you see any kind of like advertising centered around like any of our releases, I I probably had something to do with it. So, so like even on social media, like that kind of advertising. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's been like needed um in the space of like advertising or marketing centered around like bands especially in this type of music is i think right now we're experiencing this place where consumers want like a story everything needs to be a story right or an experience of some kind you know you'll go and you'll look into like you know some of the statistics for um albums like on spotify and you'll notice a correlation between things that were released as singles or things that had like a music video and high streaming numbers. Right. So there's this shift now to being like, okay, well clearly that's cause there's some type of like visual storytelling element that's like attached to it. And I think that's where the majority of consumers are like finding their music discovery right now is like YouTube and Spotify. Um, the idea that like people are listening to albums is kind of a little, it's becoming a little archaic, which sort of sucks as a person who owns, Oh, I don't know, almost 700 vinyl records. Right. But um, those are like the things that everything is shifting towards. Right. So one of the things that I've been trying to look at is how do we start like incorporating influencers into that storytelling experience and try to like tell the story of a record release like through creators or people that like the audience has already developed like a parasocial familiarity with. Right. And I think that that's something that hasn't been as explored in like underground heavy music as much as it has been explored in definitely in other industries or in other music for sure. Um, Yeah. I was going to actually ask about that, but Curtis, can I get just because we're on this topic right now. Well, I just wanted to, it wasn't quite on the topic. So if you want to ask further on that, that's totally fine, Aaliyah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, the idea of marketing with influencers, yeah, it's very present in like, for example, uh, makeup, cosmetics. Mm -hmm. I've definitely seen that. Um, I'm sure with video games and like other products. Yeah. But I don't ever really think about influencers and marketing music. So can you kind of explain um, the perspective on that and like how they fit into that whole equation. Yeah. I think one of the things that like uh, fascinates me about other genres of music or things that are like far more accessible is like, there are easy to point at like tastemakers, right. Or people that create um, stuff that's centered around like music reviews, like the needle drop. Right. Everybody knows about an old Fantano, 
But the reality is, A, I don't think he's a very beloved figure in the world of like underground death metal, heavy music and all that sort of stuff, right? Uh, B, I think it's just this thing where that doesn't serve his audience either, right? That's not the stuff they're consuming. They don't want to watch that shit. So like, ultimately, he's going to be checking out like tons of mainstream things but like if you're a person who wants a review of like say the latest beyonce album or you know 100 get 100 gex or you know like kiro kiro benito or something there's a pretty good chance that fantano's got you covered right and you know that and you can depend on that and depend on his like content as some sort of like a guidepost for some of your alignments of taste Whereas, like, I'm sure those people exist in heavy metal music, like on YouTube and all those places. I know because I watch a lot of them. I'm subscribed to a few of them. But as far as there being like, um, a sort of like apparatus that can consistently depend on that and incorporate them into like pushes for albums, I just haven't really like seen that, to be honest. And that's baffling because, on the one hand, you know from people on the outside looking at us and say like, Oh, well I can see the immediate benefit from your perspective as like the label. Right. But it works both ways because if we're giving, you know, like even access to like all of the things that we're releasing, then that gives the opportunity for someone to create more content. Right. And so if they're tied into more releases and they're putting out more content, they're growing their audience, especially, you know, like I said, the, the variation of listeners between bands, pretty crazy like when you get into the back end of spotify for a lot of these artists and so if you're reviewing all of these different releases you're giving your audience that content then it's like this loop that just keeps feeding into itself where you're growing your audience you're growing your content you're staying consistent and that helps your channel grow you make you know some money hopefully and then we as like the label you know, benefit from your audience being exposed to that. Hopefully they check out the music, they stream it, they buy some records. I think it's just all about like building an ecosystem that feeds into each other, like in a very organic and like non-bullshit way. Um, And I don't think it, I don't think it's a thing that's incredibly difficult. It just requires someone to care a whole lot about it. Um, And so that's what I'm trying to do. So you're trying to build that ecosystem. It would be nice. Yeah. Do you, you have, actually, have anybody in particular like you're already thinking of as being like the influencer type like that you're already approaching or is it just kind of like it's the idea is there and that's it? Yeah, I mean, so I've already had a few conversations with some people. I think <laughs> there's like it depends to per platform, right? So like the things that I would want out of an Instagram like focused creator would be far different than someone who's like on YouTube. For sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like on Instagram, it's like, are you good at taking photos? Are you good at getting, you know, likes? Like it's probably more like, do you look good in a cool t-shirt? And can you also hold a record at the same time, right? In a way that's like visually super appealing or like pops really well. Um, And if you figured that out, you know, for your own brand and for your own presence, then I for sure want to like, again, help you with that. It's like, I'll give you shirts. I'll give you records. We'll, we'll figure it out. All right. Um, But then it's like, if you're just on YouTube, then yeah, I, I want consistency of like upload, 
Um, and you know, what's funny is like that to me is way more important than like sub counts. Cause oh. like you can, you can build your subs, but if you're not consistently uploading, like, and you don't have, you know, some type of a routine, I feel like that's harder long-term. Right. Well, riddle me this then. Cause I don't know. I, I actually don't know. Um, let's say a person does upload a lot. They don't get like a shit ton of views. You'd prefer that over, over like a ton of subscribers. I mean, it just depends, right? Sure. If it's someone who's uploading once every three months, then maybe there's like some way to like benefit from that. But the likelihood is that they're probably, I don't know, like just thinking in a big, big, broad and generalized way, which is probably really unfair to a lot of YouTube creators out there. Um, I think people who are uploading super infrequently are maybe not going to do that stuff predicated around like a specific album release or a specific like launch cycle or something like that. Whereas someone who's like consistently doing review content, like every week or every other week, at least there's some sort of dependability there and you can say, Oh, okay, well here are the things that we've got, you know, in the pipeline, where can we fit in with your upload schedule? Right. Like those things I think are easier too, from the perspective of like, uh, label personnel who have to like maybe coordinate like assets or other things like that for the creator yeah. to like make their stuff yeah where it's like there's some semblance of predictability and what i've come to learn that is like more valuable than anything else in this side of the industry is just like predictability and schedules you know like adherence to schedule is everything i agree yeah um I do have a bit of a controversial question, but I want to wait until after Aaliyah has asked hers. So she looks like she's going to. No, ask. go ahead. Well, okay. Cause this topic's come out up before with previous guests. So getting stuff for free. So like how do you, like, but, but getting them to review, like how do you kind of make it so that way it, it comes across as being a fair and honest review without it being like, you know, they're kind of on the take type thing. I, I, I understand like it's, it's been a, something that's come up in the past i'm just curious how, how you would handle that if the if the influencer or the reviewer was like ah, i don't know about this because i don't know if it's gonna be fair because fair, i'm getting this stuff for free i invite criticism and Ooh. uh the thing that i've learned from working years upon years in the, the games industry is like if you give me a bad review it's not gonna hurt my feelings we're not gonna stop being friends like cool. i it doesn't it doesn't hurt my ego. Um, ultimately, uh, there was like a really gnarly review of a game that I released about like a year or two years ago. And it was a thing where I read through it and I could have been could have responded a number of different ways you know, about it. Right. But mm -hmm. the ultimate thing was that, like, I really tried to focus in on the criticism and the things that this person was deeply unhappy with. Yeah. And I kept playing the game and trying to see it from their point of view. And ultimately it led to like a design change decision, oh. which yeah, like changed the ease of playing the game. Uh, Cause the determination I came to was, I was like, all right, when I stopped being like a big baby about it, they were right. The game's too hard. And here's some things that like I can do to actually accommodate like different players at, at different like levels of skill. Um, awesome. So I think that there's valuable things to like be learned from criticism. And I'm a person who, you know, I want your honest opinion. Like, I think that's the key thing because that's what the audience wants and that's what they deserve. Like that's what serves them best. 
right and so if you being honest is being like yeah this album sucks and i dislike it thanks for sending it to me but i i think it blows like all right you know like i can live with that like and ultimately this is the marketing guy coming out use if you put album sucks in the title hey man you're gonna get a lot of clicks 100 percent. yeah people will still be it's talking true. about it yeah yeah yep. yep. i know I'll, then, I'll go listen to shit that people say is awful just to see what the fuck it is 100 percent. yeah time. yep time. so either way i'm pretty good with it i think that's the key though is to really like drive home to the creator like dude keep it real 100 percent. that's the thing that's going to make this work long term like if you start feeling like you need to appeal to things that uh you think i want to hear this is this is just going to be bullshit and the the second that something is bullshit i don't want to do it anymore fair enough yeah. so as a digital marketer, I know how I handle this as a PR, but I'm curious how it works with uh, some digital marketing. Like, obviously, you're not going to like everything that you're getting hired by a label to promote. I would imagine. I would imagine. I would imagine. Or a video sure. game or whatever. Um, how do you handle it yourself as a digital marketer? Like, if you get a project that you're just kind of, you personally are not enthusiastic about, how do you kind of get the juices flowing to uh, get the project going with the marketing? I mean, I think the key thing is like being able to connect to other people's sense of passion for something, right? And so like if I don't understand it, I at least want to understand why the audience does, right? And I can be passionate about things that I don't personally like enjoy, Um and that's because like I'm invested in people's success, especially like when you really just start to think about like everyone here is part of a larger team, right? And I don't want any part of my team to fail. So I I can, you know, really rally myself up at least at the, you know, the very bare minimum around that and just being like, no, success should look the same for everyone on my team, right? And I want, I want that like same... Uh, I want to deliver like those same results consistently. Right. Um, but yeah, in cases where, you know, there's things on the label that I'm not like entirely familiar with just because the label's 40 years old. That's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a year away from being as old as the label. Right. So there's going to be things there where I'll be like, yeah, I was, I was not even able to like stand up yet. You know, when some of this stuff was released. Um, but being able to like connect with like older audiences, for example, on that sort of stuff has been really cool. And like trying to see and understand like the legacy of some of these acts and like why they're so loved and why they're so cherished. Like, I don't, I don't think I ever really spent much time listening to like King diamond. Right. Yeah. But I watched some like live videos that we have like archived in a, in a drive uh, folder and was just like oh i get it i totally get it now there were a bunch of people who saw him live like quite a few times and were just like you gotta see this this is like a show of like genuine 100 one of a kind super fucking cool show and from that you know there's like these people who have decades of experiences and memories and all of these things tied into these legacy acts and that's super cool 
Like you can tell right now, even as I'm talking about it, I'm like, that's really fucking sick. I think that's really amazing. And so even from things that I don't personally like jam, right. Uh, or, you know, own copies of, right. That's not in my personal record collection. I can get really excited around, um, everyone else's passion and, um, like participation in that larger community for it. I think that's super cool. How do you kind of, well, you probably, I know you haven't been there long enough probably, but how are you going to approach the marketing of some of those legacy acts versus some of the newer ones? Like, do you have an idea of the differences? Cause I would imagine some of those audiences like the King Diamonds and the A to Z's are going to be totally different demographic than others like cattle decap who are also a little bit older, but you know what I mean? Totally. Um, I think for a lot of the legacy acts, they're just going to do what they're going to do, like with or without much marketing, you know, like Cannibal Corpse. You know, it's like, I'm pretty sure that that stuff could could come out in a vacuum and the internet would find out about it and, you know, do a lot of the evangelizing. But, um, you know, I think it's like, you, you look at, I think a, a cooler question in that sort of context would be like, how do I show cannibal corpse fans that they would really love 200 stab wounds? Right. And like, how do we show fans of 200 stab wounds that they would really like cannibal corpse? And Is I that think, possible? They don't. <laughs> I think there's, I think there's a lot of, you know, 19-year-old kids who are just figuring death metal out right now. And I guess. Yeah, and they're like, is that what dad's like old t-shirts are about? What? Uh so like I want those kids to check out like the catalog. You know what I mean? I want them to dive into that stuff. And I think we're at this like really cool moment too, where that's a thing that's happening. You know, you have like 19-year-old kids who are wearing cannibal corpse shirts and undeath shirts and you know, just now sort of like discovering all this music and that there's like this big legacy of it. Like, you know, you get into like the Morris sound stuff or, you know, like you have like a bunch of old cool, like suffocation records that I think those kids would really like. Um, yeah. And, and to me, what I'm really looking at is how do we, how do we bring those two generations of death metal together and get them to understand like, yo, uh, older heads, you are totally allowed to listen to things that were recorded after the year 2002. It's fine. I promise you're not going to get in trouble. And younger kids, you can listen to things that were recorded before the year 2019. Like it's, it's totally cool. You can both stop being scared. Like check out, check out each other's music. So let's talk for a brief moment here or a little bit. Uh, you guys got a couple of tours coming up. Uh, pretty soon. Uh, Corpse, I think, was one of them. Black Dahlia is another. I know you guys got a whole bunch of different ones. Um, can you talk about uh, how the how you were going to be digitally marketing a tour, I guess? Yeah, so it's usually it's stuff that's focused like it's geotargeting. Um, so you do like ads that are focused on specific geographic regions. Like, for example, Tonight, what I've been doing is crafting like bespoke ads for different stops of the tour. So if you live in like Hamburg, for example, you'll get a different like Facebook story ad than you would if you live in like Glasgow or, you know, somewhere else. Oh, you're else. doing the entire world. You're not just North America. I didn't realize that. 
Okay. Yeah, I think the, the tour that's coming up is just EU and UK, and then they're coming back over here. I didn't know uh, that. For some stuff. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for tour stuff, you would usually, um, yeah, it's geo targeting, and then it's specific to like the city per ad. Um, yeah. That sounds com- complicated and, and difficult. Is it just like the copy is different, or like is the actual content? significantly different that's what i was wondering yeah it can depend i mean you you can get like that granular with it if you have a video editor that wants to put up with your shit that much right and wants to create like a specific asset for every single like a i'm going to stop using marketing terms like who wants to create a specific video like for every single stop of the tour so it was like hey california hey denver colorado you know what I mean? Like for each different thing, you could do that. And then you could uh, create a a specific ad for every single like city of a tour. But you don't. I I am right now. Oh, you are. Okay. But you <laughs> yeah. don't usually though. <laughs> um, I think it depends, right? Because that, okay. as you can imagine, depending on the scale, can get expensive very quickly i was just gonna say yeah <laughs> how much how, how, how much are you gonna beg for the for the money for all that? <laughs> so, well, well fortunately <laughs> with a, a band like that they were just like here's how much we want would oh, like nice. you to yeah 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 nice, so nice. but for other things you know that may be a different story right yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah 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 totally sure. yeah yeah, and so, I guess then the question comes down to like how much better is the advertising response yeah. compared to I'm gonna give an anecdote right now. Mm-hmm. My band just opened a, the local date for Visions of Atlantis, which is a symphonic metal band, international and symphonic metal band. We made a video ad basically with little clips, tiny, tiny clips from vi- music videos from every band that was playing at our show date. Did you play do you know a band named Vesuvian? I don't know them. They're I'm in Chicago. Oh, okay. okay. But I did see they were on that same tour. Mm-hmm. Um, My friend Laura's in that band. Oh, I got to check them out because I saw they were opening for Visions of Atlantis. So that kind of intent implies there's some crossover here. Yes, yeah, sorry, I didn't um, get there. Yeah, no, it's cool. I I got to check them out. But um, I, uh, you, we had made that just to post on our socials for organic use. But mm. I uh, offered it to the local show promoter. And he ran ads with it. And he said that as soon as he started running ads with that video, it started getting like twice as many or three times as many clicks as the ad they were using before. That's just an anecdote. Do you have any more like data on how much more effective curated content for a specific city might be versus non-specific content? Mm, I would say that like in all things in advertising if you're if you can't get like hyper specific <clears throat> levels of conversion like basically if you, if you if you can't get um like you can't dial in a formula that guarantees a specific amount of people are going to interact with a thing in a certain way then the next best the next best thing is to cast as big of a shadow as possible Right. And so I think with doing something like that, especially for a larger band, it creates this perception 
of like, oh man, they're really doing things. Like I'm seeing ads for this for every single d- the difference. Yeah, I talked to my friend. He lives over in you know Saskatchewan, Jamaica, or whatever. And then he's like, yeah, he saw a thing for his city, right? Um, and so it's that idea of like just creating that perception. Like, man, I'm seeing things for this like everywhere. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, there was this Vile Creatures album that came out. I'm pretty sure you know the cover where like the worms or the... I know it. I know it personally. Yeah. See? Yeah. yeah. And there was a point where it just felt like that album was inescapable. It was everywhere. I was seeing it everywhere. I was seeing ads for it, like absolutely everywhere. Uh, Ryan from the label was talking to me about this too. He's like, yeah, there was a point where there was just, it was just everywhere. Right. And so whoever did the marketing for that or whoever did like the placements for that was pretty smart. They figured out this thing of like, get it everywhere all at the same time. So it just creates this appearance that it is this event. It's this inescapable thing. And so I think the more you can create that perception, um, you know, with, with your advertising, I think the better. Um, but insofar as like, do bespoke tour stop ads perform better than just an overall tour ad? I think that depends like city to city, how many people in that city have liked your band page or interact with your socials. Like there's so many variables, right? Um, and I think that that stuff matters much less for smaller bands right uh but for some someone like mega death or something right then that's probably there's probably a good chance that in all 50 states there's some mega death fans right yeah whereas like you know let's say 200 samples right because they're relatively new i think them doing these like specific ads targeted to people like in specific cities who have liked their page or that this that and the other that's probably not going to get great results it's like just generalize that thing out and be like we're coming to a city near you all right we're gonna be there promise you know i have a dumb question well probably not a dumb question but it seems kind of dumb to me but you tell me if this is dumb steve so um, 200 stab wounds, good example. So, uh, they just went on, out on tour with uh, a bunch of death metal bands. So does that affect your marketing of their new album? Like, are you then going to go target like fans of all the bands that they just toured with? Like, how does this work? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I mean, especially if it's, you know, label mates, right. We want, yeah. we want, uh, people who are listening to other bands on the label to, to check that stuff out. Right. And, you know, should work as like sort of a discovery system, you know, in a way, you know, where you can rely on the label and be like, okay, I'm going to check out, you know, 200 stab wounds. I like a null knockoff, right. Or maybe some other things, but I, I trust the label like that. They are signing stuff that is sick. So, you know, hopefully there's some trust from the audience, like as far as that's concerned, where they would want to like organically check that stuff out. But yeah, in that case, for sure, it would be this thing where, especially if it's, you know, um, ads centered around a specific tour and 
you you want to target all the people that they're opening for right or that they're you know playing in support of because it's like there's a there's a larger chance where it's say if it was like the black dahlia murder or something yeah right then i could say okay doing city specific ads that are targeted around the black dahlia murder fans in specific cities in specific states etc etc that makes a lot more sense right because it's like that's a much larger pool of of you know potential um ad targets right or potential like people to see that advertising whereas like i said if you just did it exclusively like around you know 200 savvies it'd probably be significantly smaller comparatively right and i guess the advertising is going to be targeted different well it would have to be i guess when, if, when you're doing the album versus the tour yeah absolutely which is easier well i i mean i know you've only been there for a month but i mean i, I think it would be the similar with games would it not yeah totally yeah. i think the the typical like launch release cycle of um like an album or something is something i'm personally much more familiar with Fair. Uh, just as like a person who's done like product releases like doing touring advertising and stuff is like a little bit of a new learning curve for me but you know I, I i get the general premise of it and the 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 goal right like so it's pretty simple it's like sell those things out sell the shows out uh and sell yeah CD, sell vinyl. <laughs> totally yeah so i think at the end of the day it's just like okay it's, it's directing people towards a specific offering right which is what most of this stuff is but uh yeah, the like the specificity of like geo targeting that stuff out has been like interesting to learn. I have another dumb, probably not a dumb question, but it feels like a dumb question. So, a digital marketer, do they handle any of the actual social media content at all, or is it just ads straight up? So, I think in smaller organizations, they like rolled those rolls up into one, which it's gotta suck. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. And um, from the point of view of like more like the distinction between what I what I do and like our social guy does is he's more like the person who's in step with our community. He knows how to talk to them, how to engage with them. He's built, you know, like that relationship and familiarity with them on on like that level. And I think for his mind to be worried about anything other than just delivering excellent content, you know, for all the different artists and for the metal blade official pages. Uh, yeah. I don't, I think that would just be not, not like delivering um, if not delivering like efficiently. Right. Uh, and so I don't do any of like the moment to moment social stuff, Yeah, but I work with him to be able to like identify, okay, like, well, what are things that are performing well? What are posts that are doing well? And from that stuff, it helps me to like craft the ads um, because he can look at everything and say like, Hey, it really seems like this variant is moving super fast or people are talking about they like, you know, this, piece of merch or they like this specific thing and from that i'll be like okay well then we're gonna boost that right we're gonna we're gonna clear that stuff out or 
we're going to like forwards to identify the things that like maybe aren't doing so well and be like, it doesn't seem like anyone's interacting with this band stuff or this specific like release. Mm-hmm. And I can go, okay, then we'll, we'll give that a little shot in the arm, you know? So you're like the numbers guy, the guy that they, they go after for like the actual moving of the product and the social guy kind of warms them up and gets buddy buddy with everybody type thing to get the relationship going. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I am at all times the hard sell. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's my job is to turn everything into the cell. Yeah. Right? I get it. I was just yeah. trying to clarify the two points. Um, Ali, I have a totally different avenue to go off of it unless you have something. I, I don't know we don't have, have time, time for a totally different avenue, Curtis. Fuck. Okay. Never mind then. <laughs> um, I want to ask basically the last question we have time for. Sure. And this is a hypothetical. So let's say a band has already, assuming they have spent the money needed to make a high quality album, spent the money needed to make high quality artwork. Mm-hmm. They have a thousand dollars specifically set aside to to spend on advertising. It's not very much. Where do you think they should spend it? So I would say, you know, it depends on a couple of things, but like if you have a good music video, do um, pre-roll ads on YouTube. Um, you can set your entire music video as an ad. You know, it comes up with the thing, skip this or whatever. Hopefully the first five seconds of your music video don't suck and people don't want to skip it within five seconds. Um, and, you know, I guess it all depends on where you're active the most. Where have you developed your audience, right? YouTube is is a pretty good, like, one-size-fits-all thing to say because I think all of us across the board consume music on YouTube. We watch music videos on YouTube. YouTube is a good thing to say across the board. Um, if you want to throw a little bit of change into Spotify, like audio ads, you can. But here's the thing that we've kind of found out about Spotify is that, like, most people who really listen to music on Spotify have a pro account. So they're not hearing your ads. Right. Um, and so, yeah, the next like path of least resistance from that would be where are you active the most? There's a lot of bands that they seem to find the platform where they can communicate the most effectively and they are, they are on there and almost exclusively. Um, there's a handful of bands that seem to do a pretty good job of being on all of the things, um, but that's pretty rare. Um, you know, it's like, there's a band I like a lot, uh, called Inferi. And if you look at like their Facebook numbers, their Facebook numbers are crazy. And then you look at like their Twitter numbers, they're good, but it's, it is not their like, and you can tell that they've built a much bigger audience, like on Facebook and Instagram. Right. Um, and so for them, I would say you probably want to advertise on Facebook and Instagram because that's where your people are. Um, yeah, so I think it's case by case, uh, but generally speaking, go where your people are, right? If you've built your people up on TikTok, for example, then figure it out, get some TikTok ads going, you know, like just do what makes organic sense for the, for the community you've built. And you can also use that as an opportunity. Like if you see like, okay, we now want to like actually get serious about 
being on this platform and we want to get a little bit of a you know jump start on it you can also use ads to kind of like boost your entry point in right and say like we want to get started on twitter you know make your first tweet like we're so and so and our new album comes out this that and the other and have a really cool like image and throw a couple bucks behind that you know like you're you're like i'm here dudes tweet you know those are those are some awesome. my, like, generalized answers yeah i think that's good um curtis if you have a quick question i think we have time for one quick question okay um you can, well, I just want to make a comment. You kind of blew my mind on the Spotify thing because that's a good point about the most people are that is having. A good point. Um, can you have you ever seen that being successful? Because there are some individuals that claim swear by that. So I'm just curious about it because that was a really good point that I never even thought about. Um, I mean, I think uh, there's, you know, like for our type of music that we listen to a lot. Mm-hmm. I think by and large, most of the people that I know who uh, have Spotify accounts have like Spotify premium. Um, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I know I do. Um, and so I would say, you know, if you're trying to get like younger people to discover you and your band slants like a little bit younger, then there's probably a larger likelihood that, you know, most teenagers aren't trying to fork out a recurring $10 a month to pay for Spotify premium. They have cooler things to spend that on like weed and weed. So (laughs) yes, I would would say like, yeah, you know, if you have a band that slants a little younger, you'll probably get some more mileage out of that than, you know, like if you play in some fucking avant-garde obscure ass tech death band, you know, where some dork like me is going to listen to it. it like, I don't, I don't know, listening to ads. Sucker, so I pay for premium. So in other words, metal bands do not buy Spotify ads, do YouTube ads is what you're saying. I would say for sure YouTube ads are going to perform better. And I think that that's just across the board. Uh, what's cool about that is that's like the demo slant for people that are consuming Spotify ads is by and large like younger the demo slant for people that are consuming like youtube ads is 18 to 45 which i think is demo really slant fast. means a demographic yeah 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 yeah. the demographic like slant uh yeah or like i would you could even just say the demographic cutoff for like spotify would be like much younger like spotify ads um like in terms of the highest performing stuff but then yeah, the demographic cutoff for like the highest performing stuff on YouTube is like all the way up to like 45 years old. Yeah. So it just goes to show, like, even when you're an ancient fart bag like me, you're still watching YouTube, you know? Yep. Me too. Same. Yeah. Same. Yep. I, I have YouTube premium, so I don't get the ads. So sorry, guys. Not quite well, as a. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could possibly run into that with YouTube as well, but I don't think it's quite as dominant as Spotify subscriptions. Plus, a whole lot of people got ad blocker, so you yeah, know, it, yeah, is, yeah. it is what it, it is. is, what it is. Yeah. I've yeah. made peace with that as a digital marketer a long time ago. You know. Yep. Yep. I'm Don't just like, though. hey, you know what? You know, experience the internet you want the way you want to. For all those other people, they'll see my cool posts about records. Hell yeah.
Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, you guys. This has been a really fun talk. I really appreciated it. This has been great. Yeah. Um, Everyone listening, I hope you learned something. I know I learned a ton. And until next time, make like a bull and throw those horns up. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by following or subscribing to us, recommending it to your friends, or leaving us a review on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Heavy Business, brought to you by C-Squared Music.